mahalo. Shaka, bro. Shaka, bro. It's good to be back with all you mainlanders. No, I'm just kidding. So it was, it's good to be back. Good to see everybody. Um, we're going to get in right into the word because it's, uh, it's, we're closing our series tonight. And I want to jump in. I'm excited to, to close this out. I hope everyone has had like a good month in seeing and hearing about, you know, family wealth, the finance seminar, the, the perspectives on our families, our, the wealth, the legacy, the idea of stewardship. I hope everybody here has been challenged or even just had a new thought where they weren't thinking about something before and it was like, man, I should be thinking about that. So hopefully that has happened so far. Um, I do want to pray and I want to include in it my, my dad, uh, Praise Chapel Europe, which we uh, use support, he recently went into Ukraine and then from Ukraine went into Turkey. And so I, I know you guys saw the earthquakes and all the damage and everything. So he went in uh, helping one of the projects there. You know, the Turkish government for the first time has allowed Christian organizations and Christian uh, church leaders to actually go in and pray for people. Now, that's amazing. That's a big deal. It's a, it's a, it's a Muslim-controlled country. They don't, they don't allow that. So for the first time, the government has allowed them to, to allow Christians to go in and just pray for people. Um, and so my dad went in, and obviously they're, you know, praying with people, and, and he just saw a lot of the, the devastation, and, and they're, still, they're still searching for people. There's family members still searching for their family members that were caught in the earthquake. So there's still a lot of uh, grief, a lot of things going on, and there's a church there that we want to pray for because they asked my dad if, they, if you know, he could spread word that we could pray for them, their, their building had some damage during the earthquake. And so the government is basically saying, well, we got to tear it completely down. So if you know anything about Turkey, they would love to eliminate all the churches there. So any opportunity to get a church removed, they want to seize it. So what we want to do is we want to pray that, you know, either God provide a brand new building for them or like, you know, by some miracle, it's saved. Because we don't want a church to be gone in that country. So I do want to include that in our prayer tonight as we go forward. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, number one, that, that we can get word about our brothers and sisters in Christ that are just in need, asking for, for your hand to move on behalf of them. Lord, that even as this pastor has asked for his congregation, Lord, for their meeting place to somehow be saved or be renewed or to find a new place, Lord, we pray on behalf of them today. We ask, Heavenly Father, that we know you are sovereign, you are in control. No government stops you, no government controls you. And so we know we can ask you, Lord, to provide a new place or to provide a way for that place to be renovated, reconstructed. Lord, that we would see a miraculous thing happen, that that church, that, that congregation would be refreshed and renewed and encouraged from everything that has happened, Lord, in that country, that it would be a lighthouse for all that community. So, Lord, we pray today from our church here in Downey. We pray for that church in Antioch, Turkey. We pray, Lord, for a miracle. We pray that as we receive word back that they would say, God stepped in. So we lift that up, and, and we give you glory, and we give you honor, we give you praise, and we come to you uh, humbly as a church, Lord, in humility to say on behalf of, of our brothers and sisters in Christ in another country, Lord, we ask that you would take care of them. And so, Lord, we are grateful here that as we can gather that as we can be in comfort, that we have a roof over our heads, that we have seats that we can sit on, and, and we have a place for our children. And Lord, we are grateful for all of these things. We are so grateful for this. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be here with us, that as we read the word, 
that you would just give us the understanding and the wisdom to apply this. Jesus, we declare you as Lord over this church, over this message, and over our lives. And we thank you for all you have done, all you are doing, and all you are going to do. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. So please forgive my, uh, I have like a bit of allergies, so if you hear me like sniffling, that's what it is. So, all right, we're going to dive into our series close for family wealth. So uh, kind of like a recap, we started off talking about how family wealth doesn't start with enough money, it starts with knowing what enough means, okay? And then we had Brother Chuck, he came in and he talked about how stewardship is managing all the wealth God has entrusted to you. So that includes your finances, your family, everything, right? We even talked about in life group how even our health, right? The way we are with our bodies that God has given us. We've been given this gift of life. We should manage and steward it well, okay? And then uh, Pastor Mancha ministered uh, last week, and he, one of his points, and I loved it, he said true family wealth begins when God heals. That's, that's a good thought. You really will not have a healthy and wealthy family until God has healed you. Because you can get a bunch of stuff, God can start doing, or you can see doors open, but if you're not healthy and healed by God, it's messy, it's chaotic, right? So we think, we think, that, uh, we thank God that all these, these messages were shared with us. And so our series main scripture for this whole month has been Matthew 6, 21. And I did send out the sermon notes that you guys can grab and and just keep with you in your phone, I would encourage you to do this because this is something you do want to reference later. So our series main scripture is Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this is something that is a principle of a Christian, meaning this is something that guides you in the way you are, in the way you behave, in the way you think. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to dive further into that. But let's read a little bit more context into that. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. But we're going to start for 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to talk about, first off, defining what are some treasures on earth? Right? And this is something that's kind of universal. All of us kind of have a similar, a similar pattern of what is valuable to us. For example, a house. Right? All of us would love a house. Be like, oh man, someone gave that to you? You know, like we would be like, oh heck yeah. Nobody here would think of like, oh that's a horrible gift. Right? A house. That's a, that's a treasure on earth. We'd love to have a house. Right? Uh, investments. Right? We talked about that with Chuck. And we look, you look at this, this is Apple, right? 900% increase. Think about that, 900%. So if you put in 100 bucks, it became 1,000 just by sitting there. So investments like this, and if you think about in multiples, you put in 100,000, right, and so on. So the idea is that all these treasures on earth, these are things that we would look at and be like, that's valuable, I want that. And it's not a horrible thing. You're not a horrible person for desiring that, right? That's not, that's not the, it's not a completely negative thing. Uh, treasures on earth. Cars, right? Ford GT, anybody? No, just me? Just me? All right, there you go, yeah. The reason I love that car was I was on the freeway when I had my Audi. I had, I, this was years ago. I had an Audi, it was fast. 
and a Ford GT was speeding, and I tried to go with it, and that guy burned me so bad that I was just like, dude, that car is amazing. So a Ford GT, so I put that out there, right? Cars, we love cars. And for all you nature lovers, you got your scooter, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm, I don't use gas. I love electric vehicles. There you go. All right, nature lovers. So instruments, instruments, right? All, anybody who's a musician, like, you know, guitars, like there's certain guitars that you can get. There's a guitar that I looked up one time, and it was $46,000. Custom-made guitar, right? And these are things, treasures on earth. This is the next one, ready? Ready? This one, ready? Oh, yes. So some of you know the value of that shoe. Some of you know the value of that shoe. Some of you don't. But that shoe is over $20,000 <laughs> for a shoe. Okay, it's a shoe. But it's a treasure, right? People love these things. It's something that you value. You look at it and you're like, dude, I want that. Sports memorabilia. Right? Baseball cards, all this stuff that you would fall in love with. A football from a Super Bowl game. These are treasures on earth that you value, that you love, that you're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Trips to Hawaii. We don't have a picture of that, but never mind. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. There are these tangible things that we value on earth. They're treasures to us. We value them. We're like, oh my gosh. Every one of us here has something that is physical. Okay, something that's physical that you really love. Something, you know, just like maybe, I don't know, for women, maybe a, a bag or a jacket, I don't know, you know, like just something that you really like. You, it's just like your favorite thing in the world. And then there are intangible things. There are things that are not totally something that we can grab or hold on to. It's not physical. Uh, it's intangible. There are moments that we prize, Right? There's sometimes moments captured in a picture that you met maybe a celebrity or you met maybe your favorite artist or your favorite athlete and you had this moment, right? And that moment is a prized thing that you have. And there are, there are um, relationships. Some relationships you value, it's a prized thing. There are dreams, some dreams that you look at and you're that's so valuable to me. There's even accomplishments. There's accomplishments that some of us have uh, accolades, right? That things we have accomplished that we look at and we think like, man, I did that. And I'm not, not, not hating it. That's, you know, that's something that you value. You look at it and think like, I accomplished this. You set your mind to it. You put the work in. You were, it was hard. You, you didn't sleep. You got it done. Some would argue these are just as valuable to the person uh, you know, of, of these moments that, than another person with a tangible item, Right? Some may have a moment, and some may have a house, and both may be just as valuable. What I'm trying to get us to understand, there is these things that we value. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and we read this before, but I want to read it again. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. So there's clarity in knowing that these things that we value should not be a priority over God's will. That's, that's a principle for us as Christians, meaning it's something that we don't have to debate. 
Like, if there's some sort of argument of like, man, well, this and this and this, but I know God wants me doing this, God's will is what we should prioritize. And that's hard. That's hard. It's a challenge. And, and as we look further, in Matthew 6, 22 through 23, it says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And it's pretty simplified and pretty clear what this is saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. It lights up within you. What, what your eye perceives lights up within you. It fills you. Okay, so think of it like this. I'm giving you a horrible example. Don't even like really think of. If someone's in prison, you know, like the, they put them in solitaire, and they only have that little slat that opens, and they feed them their food through there, right? But that's the idea. There's only one way, one thing that's going to get, and that's your eye, right? That's what the scripture's saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. And what, gets, what we set in front of it lights us up inside, puts something in us. So we look at this, right? Uh, what you set your eyes on become the object of your attention and affection usually. Whatever you're looking at, right? What is window shopping? <laughs> right? You walk by, you look at it. And the reason that they put it in the window is because they know if you look at it, you desire it. If you desire it, you're more likely to go buy it. And we look at this, this is, this is normal human behavior. But Corey Russell, he, you know, he's a minister, but he says this, you become what you behold, right? And what we put in front of our eyes is something, the thing we become. It becomes part of what we want to do. It, it courses our life. It changes our actions, right? We decide, I'm going to do that. I saw this, I'm going to do that. My life has changed. We look at this further. You know, I, I joke about... Um, my wife, when she was about 13 or 14 years old, uh, she had Justin Timberlake posters all over her room. And she, that was her object of affection, right? That was what she loved. Her immaturity caused her to be focused on the wrong thing. And that's what happens, is we begin to put things in front of us, and in our immaturity, we focus on it. Right? That's the truth. That's with all of us. We, in our immaturity, will put something in front of us and think, this is what I need to pursue. And the reality is this, we already read it, that God's will is the priority of our life. So when we look at this further, in verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here's the reference to money, right? But I think it goes further than that. It goes to the place of saying, you cannot serve God in anything else. There's nothing that you can serve alongside of God. It is him or nothing. That's the demand of God. 
It's you're looking at him. He is the object of your affection. He is the object of your attention. He is the thing that you have placed before you to say, I am pursuing that. That is what my heart's desire is. And because I have put him in front, that's what I'm looking at. That's my only view. You will be devoted to one or the other. And I'll say it, this, this sentence is where it's the idea of this whole sermon. The wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. If your family is putting something else in front, it is prioritizing something completely aside from the gospel. And scripture teaches us the eye is the lamp, right? So what we're teaching our family to focus on, to look at, to look towards is what is the thing that we will be surrounding ourselves with, is the thing that we will come around and, and be devoted to as a family. What's interesting here is that Jesus is teaching us some tremendous principles for our life. What you put in front of your eyes lights up your whole being. If there's a desire that fills you, it's the desire you serve. If there's a desire that fills you, it's the desire you serve. And then, what's so interesting here? In our contemporary context, there's a scripture that applies to pretty much all of America. In verse 25, it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? This is Jesus talking. And he's saying, don't be anxious about your life. And this is something that for all of us, not just here, for people we know, everybody here knows somebody dealing with anxiety, right? And even some of us as Christians, we deal with anxiety. And Jesus is trying to teach us a principle. He's saying the reason you're dealing with anxiety is because you're looking and filling yourself with the wrong things. And, and I'm, not, I'm not attacking you if you feel like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not this, I'm not enough of this, I'm not, of th I, I'm, you know, I have anxiety. I'm saying this, Jesus addressed it for you. And he's pointing you in the right direction. And the place we start is to start putting him as the focus of our life. Dylan Walsh, Walsh, Dylan Walsh from the MIT Sloan School of Management. This is, these are two articles that I read that I was just like, this is so interesting, okay? So he says this, according to the data from the Centers for Disease Control, the suicide rate among 10 to 24-year-olds was stable, meaning it was not fluctuating up, like it did not move in much of any direction, from 2000 to 2007, from the year 2000 to 2007. It then increased 57% between 2007 and 2017. Furthermore, he says, people who use more social media may become more depressed. Or conversely, people who are more depressed may be more active on social media. <laughs> there is a lack of true Causal, causal evidence, meaning there's not definitive evidence to say that, 
you know, social media has driven us into an anxiety-induced society. But journalist Ayush Jalan says this, with its global accessibility, Facebook jumped from 20 million users in April 2007 to 50 million users in October of the same year. Besides people, Facebook also pulled in companies and had around 100,000 business pages by the end of the same year. Soon after, Facebook added more features to its website and the app, including chat, pages, Facebook ads, and video support. But the most significant of them was the infamous like button, introduced in February of 2009. And here we have the correlation between the increase of anxiety and the jump of social media expanding its reach across the world. And, and the reality is this, what I'm saying to you, it's nothing new. It's not anything to be like, oh my gosh, social media, this and this and this. No, you go back further. When the newspaper came out, right? When they started printing things that were images, it probably caused more anxiety because people were looking at stuff saying, I want that. I need that. If I don't have that, I'm not gonna be like this person. And then the anxiety increased, right? So the idea is what I'm trying to tell you is this, the principle of what Jesus taught us is applicable to whatever situation we're in, whatever age we're at, whatever generation we're living in. This is something that is timeless. Jesus was teaching us your eye, what you're putting in front of you, what you are consuming is the thing that could be leading to your anxiety-filled life. In verse 26, we go further. It says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Already, let's stop there. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It's like, a guys, God takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. Like, he's going to take care of you. You'll be okay. You're going to be okay. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? In verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Stop there again. He knows we need those things, right? We need those things to live, okay? Therefore, do not, but, I'm sorry, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's where a lot of us can uh, go a little bit wrong, okay? Because it's seek first the kingdom of God. And we all believe in that. You know, we all believe in the church. It's a good thing. You know, we we rally around the idea of, of Christian principle and say, yes, I'm part of that. I'd love to be part of that. I'm encouraging that. I, I think it's a good thing. And we rally around that. We, we celebrate it. But it also says, 
and his righteousness. And that's where we pull back a little bit. Because we stop just shy of what Jesus is saying and presenting, that, that it's the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First off, most of us don't even understand the clarity of that statement. We are not even clear in how to pursue that. We're not going to go over that today. <laughs> so if you've got questions about that, you're going to have to dig into it a little bit, okay? But the point would be this. There is something there to pursue. There is something as a Christian to say, this principle should be attached to me, not an afterthought, not something I'm thinking about, oh, maybe I should do that. It should be something, this is part of my life. Message Bible says this. I love the way it, it you know, uses the, the language here. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. <laughs> to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over all those things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. This is, this is the celebration of the Christian. This is where the Christian stands in faith away from the world. This is where our anxiety can be handed over to God. God, I'm a little nervous about this. Take care of it. <laughs> that's, that's what we do as Christians. The world says, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I, you know, this, me I'm, oh my gosh, I have to go, I need to go rob a bank. That's the only way to make this happen. I need to go, do, I, you know, I got to go do this. I, I got to go start selling this. I got to be part of this. You know, it, that's where the world, they are dictated by what they have set in front of them. And that is their anxieties, the, the needs, the wants, the desires. And God is saying to us, take that out of your eyes, man. Stop looking at all that stuff. Here's some quotes that I love. Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> he says this. He that is of the opinion money will do everything may well be suspected of doing everything for money. He that is of the opinion money will do everything may well be suspected of doing everything for money. That's, look, He's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. But he says that, and it applies for us even in the church. We can come to church and think like, oh, man, if I go to church, God's going to bless my finances. And if I have the finances, everything's taken care of. And you're looking, and you're saying, well, God's not really the answer. The money is. And the reality is this. God is the answer. It's not the money. Currency and monetary value and all those things that we uh, use day to day is, is not the answer. Stephen Colbert, he says this, if you love friends, you will serve your friends. If you love community, you will serve your community. If you love money, you will serve your money. And if you love only yourself, you will serve only yourself and you will have only yourself. 
And J.C. Ryle, he was a bishop in the Anglican church, he says this, we may love money without having it, just as we may have money without loving it. And I thought that was good. The, the, the principle, we may love money without having it. Some of us, you know, you got like, I don't know. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying you don't have a lot of money in your bank account, right? But you're in love with it. It's, it's like, oh, man. I mean, what I wouldn't do for $100,000. <laughs> we, we love money without having it. And the reality is this, with Christ centered in our lives, we can have money without loving it. We learn to let it go. We learn to say like, okay, Lord, like this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? I'll never forget, there's a story of a pastor, old school pastor, but he was doing this event he, and back in the day, $500 was like the equivalent, like 50000 So he needed $500. And he said, Lord, I need $500. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so he just went about his day, and some guy literally came to him and said, like, listen, I have some money set aside. I need to give it to somebody. Do you know anybody that needs $500? <laughs> and he was like, yes, I do. I'm doing this event. And the guy was like, okay, then it's for you. I've had it for a month. I've been trying to get rid of it. Nobody wanted it. I couldn't find the right person. <laughs> and it's just funny how God works. And it's like this guy could have been so anxious and worried, but he just went about his day literally planning this event that they were going to do and just going about making sure, like, you know, things are in order. It's going to happen. We don't have the money, but it's going to happen because I know God told me to do it. And then this guy shows up. You know, I had what you needed. I just didn't know that you needed it. And the reality is this, that we may love money without having it, but just as we may have money without loving it, and it's our principle of our Christian walk that Jesus is teaching us, the thing that we desire, the object of our affection, is the thing that we serve. During this series, there were two things I wanted to accomplish to get you to pay attention to stewarding your finances. I wanted you to pay attention to that. I wanted you to look at your bank account, at your budget, at your money, to say, like, I am not controlled by my money. I control my money. Uh, and that's a bigger thought than our church. I think it's for the minority communities, for people coming out of, of, of homes that didn't have education, no financial knowledge. I truly believe we as the church need to educate people in those areas because it's principle from Scripture, so that's a big thing, right? I want you to pay attention to that, stewarding your finances, and to understand your family and your legacy must be more than money. Your family and the legacy of your family must be more than money. What good is it to have financial security with no integrity in your family? What good is that? What good is it if you have solid achievements in your own life but your children want nothing to do with you. Like, what good is that? We're pursuing all these things that become the object of our affection, and we fail at the thing that God uh, asked us to steward, to manage, to take care of. The wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. There is the treasure that is immeasurable. And when you find it, you hold on to it. It becomes the centerpiece of your life. You know, if you go to um, some people's houses, they have things on display. Maybe a trophy, um, a degree. Uh, they'll have these things on display in the center of the house in a very prominent place. And most families, if the parents value it, the whole family values it. 
And, and what happens is if we are training our family to value something aside from the gospel, they will value that. But you'll lose everything that the gospel has to offer. Uh, gotquestions.org says this, people whose treasure is in heaven cannot be owned by their possessions. They cannot be bought off because nothing on earth is worth the price of their soul. Nothing on earth is worth the price of their soul. I want you to think about this. One day, your family will not be under the same roof. They will not be under the same roof. I think about that for my, my kids. That one day, my children won't be living in my home. One day, uh, my, like my kids, your kids, they'll be out living somewhere else. One day, our spouse may pass away. Our accomplishments may fade away. We may be titans of some industry that is no longer even around. We might have the highest paid position in a company, and then one day we're a memory on the timeline of that company. You know, I, I think about with uh, AI and and you know, I don't know if you guys have read about this stuff, ChatGPT. I follow all that stuff because I'm I want to know about it. But what they're saying is that these, these advancements, technological advancements, essentially, there are industries disappearing overnight. And most of pe some people who have graduated from colleges with certain degrees, those are worthless now. And the reality of the way uh, things move and, and time, time changes and, and the things that we've put in front of us and we valued, and Jesus told us, don't value anything else but me. And not bad to accomplish, not bad to finish, to get a degree. You know, do, do all those things that you, you desire to do. Okay, get those things done. Get them out of the way. But they should not be the object of your affection and complete attention. Matthew 13, 44 says this. I'm going to read three different versions. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. New Living Translation says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Message Translation says, God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. <laughs> the finder is ecstatic, what a find, and proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise the money and buy that field. The wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. See, we read the scripture, we read how this, this guy finds, it's, it's the kingdom of heaven, right? It's like a treasure hidden in a field. And when we find it, it says just like this guy, we sell everything else because nothing else is as valuable as what we found. And it becomes the centerpiece of our life. Consider, you know, that, that you know, I, I am just like, I have a lot of imagination sometimes. I envision different things. I'm just like, man, think about that. Imagine this guy going to this field. He finds this treasure. And then he builds, you know, he owns that field after, right? He sold everything he had. He bought that field. And then he builds up a house. And imagine in the house, he left a little circle in the, in the pit open to say, this is, where I, this is where I found it. And it changed our life. You know, and everybody that comes over, he tells them, I found it right there, 
right? And that's what like the gospel should be to us. This is, this is what we found and it changed us. We were broken. We were messed up. We still got a lot of junk to take care of. <laughs> uh, but, but man, when we found it, things changed. We didn't, we didn't go in, in the places that we used to go. The things that used to happen don't happen anymore because the light got shine, right? The things that we, we didn't know were in us. We put Jesus in front of us and he revealed it. And the wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. I want to close this. Uh, there's a, in 2010, there, there was a treasure. This is a true story, okay? In 2010, there was a treasure hidden by a man named Forrest Fenn. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this. I had not heard of this. He, he wrote a memoir and a poem called The Thrill of the Chase. In it, he hid clues to find his treasure. He literally hid a treasure. The estimated value was more or over $1.2 million. And he put it in his book, published it, and said nothing else. And along the way, people started hearing about it. So people started devoting their lives to find it. They literally started reading his book, hiring private detectives, all these. They were, they were searching for this treasure, which legitimately was there and was real. And this guy was a multimillionaire. He actually was diagnosed with a terminal case of cancer in the or, or late 80s. And they said, you're going to die. You're not going to make it. So in that, he, when he made it, he lived. Okay, He lived. And in that, he built like this huge business and said, I'm going to go bury this treasure where I was going to go lay down and die. And so he went and put this treasure in the ground, published this book. People started searching for it. And, and this was in 2010. And a man finds it. A guy finds it. He remained anonymous for some time. He then came forward and revealed himself. But what angered most people is not that the treasure was found. It's that the location was never revealed. People searched for a couple years looking for this treasure. And he and the guy who buried it never told anybody. Only two people know it, the one who found it and Forrest Fenn who passed away in September of 2020 at the age of 90 years old. And no one knows where he found it. They only know that he found it. It was confirmed. It was verified by the family. He presented, this, is, this was the box. This is where it was. The family's like, yep, he got it. They had pictures. They finally met up. And people were angry. They were so angry because what was not revealed to them was were they good enough to find it? They were angry because he found it, but what if I had come close? What if I had figured it out too? And, and that's the thing where they, they almost valued the, the chase or, or the, the investigation to find it more than the treasure itself. And they hated him. He literally was like super anonymous after that. He just went off the grid. He was like, we're not doing this anymore. What I'm saying is this, the reality of, of our Christian walk should be with like that passion of like, man, we're looking, we found this thing, we're looking for it. And then when others find it, we should know, like, I found it too. Like, I'm celebrating with you. And, and God has enough that everybody gets some of this treasure. And we look at it in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, it says this, Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. The wealth of your family. For your children, for your children's children, for your children's children's children is found in the gospel of Jesus. That is that is the bottom line of this whole series of family wealth, the idea is the wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. I do pray, I do pray 100% that God increases uh, your, your economic situations. Even those who are fine, even those who are living comfortably. I pray that God gives you more. Not for the sake of you being in opulence and, and being ostentatious and coming to you know, church with fur jackets, like, like it's real fur, you know? Like, I'm not praying for that. I'm praying that it's something that you look at and you think, Lord, I want to bless those people over there. I want to help that ministry over there. I want to be able to come to church and see a family in need and say, we got it. We're taking care of it. You know, I, that's what I pray for most everybody here. And I believe that because the wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus. And if we center our lives around the gospel of Jesus, everything else is secondary. It doesn't, it's not a big deal. It's not our God. It's not what we serve. I'm going to have Melvin uh, come up and strum, and then I'm going to pastor, have it over to Pastor Mancha. But I want to leave you with a question today. And let's stand. I want us to stand and bow our heads, close our eyes. And this is a question that is for you, is for your family, is for your consideration and how you are living your life. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to really consider this question. What is the treasure that you or your family gathers around? Is it the gospel of Jesus? Or is it some other thing? And I really want you to, to consider that. What is, it the, what is the thing that your family gathers around? And life is lived to either uh, get close to it or, or perceive it or, or, get, or know it or, or get more of it. Like, what is that thing? And as a church, as a pastor, what I'm saying to you, the wealth of a family is found in the gospel of Jesus.